Hi friends, I am so excited about this conversation with Dr. Carliara Weiss. She is a clinician scientist and founder of Dr. Weiss Sleep Education. It's a wellness platform to promote healthy sleep. She earned her PhD from the State University of New York at Buffalo and is trained in behavioral sleep medicine, circadian rhythms, and geriatric nursing. She's originally from Brazil and has been a cradle Catholic, and she's been recognized for her leadership in promoting diversity in science. She's done TED Talks in Sao Paulo. She's been featured in Women's Health Magazine. I mean, this is someone who is really knowledgeable. I learned so many things throughout our conversation. So sit back. I know you're going to love this, so I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for being here on Connecting Out Loud. Having me, Regina. This is great. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with you and your work, can you just tell us a little bit about you? Yes. Uh, so I'm Dr. Carliara Weiss, um, I'm behavioral sleep medicine and geriatrics uh, specialist by training. I work as a clinician scientist, and my focus is on uh, sleep disorders. So, uh, what help you sleep better? or how can we uh, age better by good sleep quality? So that's um, what I do for a living. Uh, I always joke that I make everybody sleep. (laughs) So (laughs) that's uh, what I do for a living. It's a very very rewarding uh, uh, area to work with because um, we see those uh, patients that have been having sleep problems for many years or so many years that they forgot when the, the problems first started. And um, as we know that as we get older, having sleep disorders uh, increase the risk for dementia, for example, for uh, memory impairment and all that. So it's very good to uh, work in something that we can see um, the results fast and we can see the change in the quality of life for the patients as well. Wow, that sounds amazing. I'm already learning so much in just your introduction. I can't wait for this conversation (laughs) because I think it's so important to talk about sleep, especially when you think about the intersection with mental health. And I feel like it's a regular conversation I have with my own clients. Um, So I'm just, you know, and That's like, I feel like a lot of people hear about that, about sleep and the overlap with mental health. Um, So what, in your opinion, how does a lack of sleep affect someone's mental health? Maybe like in what ways do you find? Yeah, so we have um, many studies pointing out how um, sleep and mental health are are connected. We know that, uh, for example, uh, poor sleep quality is um, highly associated with depression and um, know that um, people who are um, anxious about something, it can be affecting their sleep quality as well. Um, Some other um, 
information that is not very well known is uh, how, for example, uh, attention deficit can affect sleep too. So um, individuals who have uh, HDAD, they have, um, they're 50% more likely to have insomnia, for example. Or, wow. yes, and um, so overall, mental health is highly correlated with sleep and um, having sleep disorders is kind of a, a bi-directional relationship. Uh, so having sleep problems, you're more likely to have some mental, mental, mental health concerns and the other way around too. If you don't sleep well, the mental health is not gonna be well. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of a give or a take sometimes. It's, it could be either or, or yeah. all of the above. Um, and I, I find that too sometimes. I've, I've even, you know, had people who come to me and they present with symptoms of anxiety or something like that. And one of the first questions I ask usually is, how's your sleep? What's your sleep like? Because sometimes it may look like a mental health condition, like what you're saying, but if we get the sleep under control, all of a sudden those symptoms go away and it really wasn't, you know, what they were dealing with. You know, sometimes it is, but it's interesting to think about it in that context. Yes, yes, for sure. We see, um, we see that a lot. And we see also that occasionally, if we're, we are just dealing with a pandemic, right? So we see that uh, all this stress and the uncertainty that we have on how things are going back to normal or about job and financial stability, those concerns affect sleep as well. So we know that it is a very specific um, life transition or life situation that is affecting the mental health and the sleep is a sign for that, right? And um, we also see with um, uh, patients that those who often sleep very well, uh, once they have some life transitions like that, they sleep is the first sign for them that something is not okay. Mm. So um, many times patients look for us as sleep professionals, but then we end up referring them for mental health um, assistance because we understand that the sleep is a sign for the product. And then if they treat the mental health concern, the sleep is gonna go better as well. Wow, that is so cool. That's very interesting. Like tag teaming on both ends there. Um, I recently came across this study that I really want to ask you about. Um, I had a family member just text this article to me and they were suggesting that, um, that people might have a sleep gene, that there might be people who are genetically predisposed to be able to live off lesser amounts of sleep. So, I mean, from your professional opinion, I mean, what do you think this research means? What would you say about it based on your experience? I mean, can you explain what's going on? <laughs> yes, that's that's very interesting. It's a very interesting question because um, I see two different perspectives on that. Um, the first perspective is that, yes, there is a um, gen- genetical mutation that causes people to um, have um less sleep need. So they can be fine with four hours of sleep. And just to put in um, perspective, an adult would need seven to nine hours of sleep per night. So people who have this genetic mutation, they can feel good that they have the enough um, 
restorative and uh, physical healing that they need with only four hours of sleep. Okay, so this is really true. Um, I know a, a researcher um, in Chicago that she based her career just looking at those uh, genetic mutations and how uh, to identify people uh, who have them and to make sure that their overall quality of life is not affected by the fact that they're sleeping only four hours. Um, the other perspective on that is that we live in a society that is 24 seven, right? So we need to be, um, we need to be adjusting our life and our sleep is the first one to suffer when we need to work later hours or either to provide for a family or to make sure that we, uh, for people who are in school, for example, you have to work part-time, you school part-time or even work full-time and also getting a degree. So sleeping is the first one to be in the line to, that's where I'm gonna cut through and make sure that I'm getting everything done that I need to do for my day. So when we say that some people can survive in four hours of sleep or five hours of sleep, this is a very specific genetic mutation. We cannot generalize saying, okay, I heard that people can sleep only four hours and be fine. So I'm going to stay awake and I'm going to watch uh, Netflix until 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wake up and go to work and it's going to be fine. You know, so no, we need to be um, very careful in making this um, uh, clarification that is a genetic mutation that these people only need those um, short sleeps that that we call them short sleepers but for the general population seven to nine hours that is the recommendation okay so it sounds like there's just a very small small group of people i mean it sounds like you know more research to be done to find out who those people are but a very small group of people we can't be basing this as blanket information for everyone to live off of is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's very dangerous to um, escape sleep like that because the consequences, both at a short term and long term consequences are very dramatic. So we wanna make sure if you did not get a test from, for example, 23andMe or other uh, genetic testing component, or if your sleep physician or sleep doctor did not request you, to have a genetic test done, you should not be sleeping four hours. Gotcha, thank you so much for that. So what are some good habits? What do you think are the best practices to have good sleep hygiene? How, what can we do to make our bedrooms sort of the most comfortable and to achieve optimal sleep? What would you say? Yeah, so um, I feel like the best, uh, the best orientation, if the first orientation I give to people is to have a good bedtime routine. So um, sleeping is not just, okay, it's 10 p.m. I'm gonna go to sleep, close my eyes and fall asleep, right? Uh, for most people, it's not how that works. So it's important to have a bedtime routine because the brain needs to shut, shut down all the blocks that are open, all the boxes that are open and making sure that uh, once you go to bed, you fall asleep, it recognizes that that's a sign to slow down and really sleep. So um, at least one hour before going to bed, 
shutting, shutting down all the electronic devices, all the screens, because that blue light is going to affect melatonin production. Right. Um, oh man, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Yes, I know. I, every time I say this um, for you know, orientation with a patient or a workshop or things like that, everybody goes, oh, there goes my Netflix. Oh, that goes my tablet, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's important. And what I always suggest is that we barely have time to ourselves. So make this time for self-care. So um, that one hour is the time that the house is gonna be quiet. Uh, maybe the kids are put into bed or maybe your husband is already sleeping, you know, and you take the time for a warm bath or a shower or reading the Bible or meditating, doing some yoga, some relaxation techniques. And then your body is gonna get into that rhythm that that's bedtime routine and you're gonna relax and sleep better. And it's the second advice I always give is have a good uh, wake up routine too. So when we get up, um, it's important to increase exposure to bright light. It's the opposite that we have during night, right? So when we want things to be uh, dim or dark to go to bed, but we want a bright brighten light when we wake up, brightness. So that is another signal to the biological clock. So to make a very clear difference for when it's bedtime and when it's wake up time. So um, also make sure that um, you have um, uh, some breakfast. I know that is very, um, very much a part of American culture to don't have breakfast in the morning, skipping breakfast or just grab a coffee and drinking the way to go to work. Um, that is very detrimental, especially for women. Um, our hormones and menstrual cycle get very screwed up for that. So oh, it's, wow. it's important to have, um, you start the day either with water or an orange juice, or if you make um, a blend of um, um, protein, but you have to start the day filling up the tank, you know, and bright light, filling up the, the tank. If you have time to go for a walk outside, enjoy the bright brightness, uh, that's important too. And then you start your, your day with that clear difference with what is bedtime and what's wake up time. What about new parents? So they've got really young kids who are still waking up in the middle of the night. I mean, is there any hope? Is there, is there anything they can do to try to get some good sleep? Well, that's um, one of my colleagues jokes that there is hope for new parents is just wait until they turn two years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I want to say that it's important to help this bedtime routine for the kids too. So, um, and I see that on parents more often than I see in adults. Uh, they have a perfect bedtime routine for the kids, but they don't have a bedtime routine for themselves. Ooh, so yes. It's important to have both. And also it's um, inevitable that the, the babies or toddlers, they are gonna wake up during the night for whatever, whatever reason, right? So um, when those uh, midnight or um, during the night wake ups happen, make sure that you keep the light dim in their rooms. Um, sometimes um, it's normal to kids to wake up uh, when we transition through sleep cycles, we have, uh, 
sleep cycles for adults last from 70 to 120 minutes. Uh, for kids, the sleep cycles are shorter. It can be um, 90 minutes only, it can be 60 minutes. So sometimes they wake up when they transition from one sleep cycle to the next one, but they, they are going to fall back to sleep. So sometimes the parents need to um, uh, check on them, make sure that they're comfortable, but don't turn the light on. Don't, don't um, give any stimulus to them to wake them up. Just make sure that they're going to fall back to sleep, that they feel safe enough and, and they, they are okay. So that's usually the, the advice that we give just to wait and um, make sure that it's just a transition from sleep cycle to the other before you take the kid and uh, embrace them or take them out of the crib, the, the crib for um, checking on them, right? Because then you start disturbing their sleep and then your sleep is going to be disturbed as well. I like that reminder, especially the accountability of, you know, making sure you have a sleep routine too. I think sometimes we get lost, you know, parents get lost in, you know, making the bedtime routine perfect. And then we're not living what we (laughs) always try to do for our kids. Yes. It's, it's, it's so hard. I'm I'm not a parent yet, but I, I see from um, the people that we help and also from my colleagues that, uh, the priorities make the, the child safe and make sure that the child is health, healthy, but then the parents forget about themselves. So it's right. important to remind that to you. You need to put the oxygen mask yourself first. Right, right. right. And what about for parents of older kids, teenagers? So I know that their, they, their body clocks start telling them they're tired a lot later, right? As they transition into adulthood. And so- What I see a lot is, you know, especially high school students, they have all these activities. So they have school and then they have practice, whatever sport or club after school. And then they get home and they have dinner and like an hour or two to do homework. And what ends up happening is they're up really late um, and, you know, basically not getting enough sleep, having to wake up at five or six the next morning, going to bed, you know, 11 later. So what do you think parents can do to help make sure their teens are getting enough sleep? I think sometimes they don't want to go to bed. <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's just a little bit of, I want to talk to my friends and hang out or whatever. But then other times, you know, they, it's really, I feel like they're juggling a lot these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, and um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has a lot of work on this um, because teenagers need um, 10 to 12 hours of sleep. Right, and so we have so much pressure on them to perform so much um, uh, activities, just as I just described, and some sports um, uh, finish at seven or eight or nine p.m. at night. So, how to make sure that the kids are having those ten to twelve hours? The teenagers are having those those ten to twelve hours of sleep. Uh, it's important for the parents to um, make sure that the schedule is fitting, fitting the health, right? So um, it's okay to do all the activities, but it needs to be, um, it needs to keep in mind that the activity should not, uh, that it should be a limit, that should be a boundary you know, where uh, those activities should end and when the quality of sleep and health is gonna start, right? So um, for example, if the activities end late at night, make sure that 
these kids are having uh, the dinner or um, having time to do their homework that is not going to extend to 11 or midnight. So they're going to have the amount of sleep that they want, that they, they need uh, for their health. Um, the other aspect of it is more on a, on a policy level, not so much in the parents, is that the school start time, uh, we are doing a push to change that, thinking about those, those things, right? So um, how important it is for the teenagers to sleep more and knowing that some activities end late, um, there is a lot of work being done from the Academy of Sleep Medicine to change the start time for school for teenagers specifically. So for the parents, I would say, we know how hard it is to change policy in this country, but as a parent, try to make adjustments for your kid, knowing that uh, they need so many hours of sleep. Uh, sometimes, um, sometimes it's gonna be um, cutting down the time that they spend watching TV, for example, as much as they don't wanna hear that, right? But sometimes it's gonna be important to make those changes to adjust the time um, to prioritize their health. Especially on a weeknight or a school night, there I definitely think there can be ways to do that. I, I, yeah. yeah, I think that's really helpful. What what do you think people should do? Um, parents, really anyone, if they notice a more serious type of sleeping condition in their family, like night terrors or sleepwalking, um, do you have any general tips for that? Yes. So. Um... Sometimes uh, night stairs, sleep talking, sleep walking, um, they, are, they are more likely to happen to kids who are uh, 12 and younger. So, um, and they can be related to a specific um, stimuli. So for example, if they watch a scary movie or if they have uh, some stressor from outside, something that is affecting them in a certain way. So we just have the pandemic, right? It, we're just coming out of this. We're still um, suffering with the problems that the pandemic brought in. So we saw a lot, uh, an increase on night terrors. Um, so it's important for the parents to understand that sometimes it's gonna be associated with this type of stimulus. And then you know that when it's something is external like this, it's gonna disappear. It's still important to communicate with a sleep professional or your primary care doctor, but keep in mind that those things tend to disappear when the stressor is under control. Or if you notice that they watch a scary movie and they have an episode of talking overnight, so you know that it's associated with that. But on the other hand, um, it's important for the parents to, to um, knowing those things can be just uh, a reaction to some external stimulus and then they disappear by themselves by the age of 12. Uh, if your kid, if your child is older than that and or if the episodes are repeating more often and without any uh, external um, cause that you can identify, that you can pinpoint, make sure that you visit a sleep professional that can make a thorough evaluation and understand what is going on there. Okay. And I know you mentioned insomnia earlier. What, um, what do you think people should do if they're, they find it difficult to fall asleep or even just 
they wake up in the middle of the night and find it harder to fall back asleep again. I know, like you mentioned, people have anxiety um, that can be seen a lot. And so what suggestions do you have for people experiencing insomnia? Yes. So insomnia, uh, about 50% of Americans have insomnia, at least occasional insomnia. Wow. Yeah, this is, um, this is something that it's um, increasing, especially with so many concerns that we have, right, in this, uh, this new normal that we're living in. So for, for, there's different types of insomnia. So some, uh, some people have difficulty falling asleep. Some people have difficulty staying asleep. They wake up in the middle of the night and they cannot fall back to sleep. And other people have difficulty with insomnia that is just um, fall, fall, fall asleep fine, but they wake up early and they cannot go back to sleep, right? So um, for this, uh, the three different types of insomnia, the gold standard for treatment, it's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So really changing behavior to um, adjust the uh, what is causing those problems to happen, right? So when we, we give orientation to patients, we try to understand not just the sleep, but also what, what are the behaviors that are leading to that sleep problem? And if there is any um, uh, condition in life, what is going on that is causing um, somebody to be anxious in the middle of the night that they're overthinking something and that they cannot go back to sleep. Right, so we look at uh, sleep data for the patients with sleep diaries or with uh, Fitbits or uh, devices like that. And we take a snapshot of what is going on there, but it's important to understand the behavior and change the behavior, right? So for somebody that is having occasional insomnia that they can identify, okay, I have a deadline at work or uh, I need to, make my tax return, you know, something that is uh, going on uh, that they can identify that that's the cause of that. Make sure that you are proactive. Uh, so for example, some patients, for them, it's helpful to make a list of what they need to do for the next day. So when they wake up in the middle of the night, they don't need to go that head check that, okay, I need to do this and this and this, because oh, I forgot this, oh, I forgot that, and that's stressful, then they cannot go back to sleep. So this is, uh, making those lists is one thing that might be helpful. The other thing that we say is we need to do is stimulus control, right? The bed is for sleeping, so, or sex, but if you are in bed and you're not sleeping, uh, and you feel like has been um, about 30 minutes, you should get out of bed because toss and turning is gonna increase your um, stress and you're not gonna sleep anyways. So make sure that you have um, a book that you can read or that you do some uh, relaxation techniques or breathing exercises to calm down and go back to sleep. Um, and especially for women, we look at the different phase of the menstrual cycle because we know that in um, differences in hormones during the menstrual cycle, they are more likely to cause insomnia. So sometimes just by understanding that that's the luteal phase that you are at, that you, it's more likely that you're gonna have insomnia, insomnia now because the progesterone levels are high 
and your, your body temperature is gonna be high. So you take your socks off or take the blanket off and understand that that's the trick that is gonna make your body uh, cool off and relax and you're gonna go back to sleep. Wow, I'm, you keep bringing up menstrual cycles. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much more going on here than <laughs> what yes. I even realize. Yes. Eating breakfast and affecting our sleep. I'm like, need to start paying attention to that more. Yes, yes. It makes a huge difference. And most women are not aware of that. And as soon as they start working with me and we start looking at the menstrual cycle and identifying when they have insomnia, it's always in the same phase of the menstrual cycle. And then um, some of them text me, okay, I'm starting my luteal phase now but I'm exercising more and I'm doing my yoga and, and we can adjust from there. What I really love about what you're saying and kind of what I'm getting from this conversation, it's just sort of hitting me as sleep really is just a part of self-care and health and taking care of um, it's stewardship, stewardship of your body and just being, these are really disciplined practices that... I don't think in our culture, we like value very much because we just put such an emphasis on hard work. And so it really takes some extra discipline to say, you know what, actually, you know, my health is important. God created me and I'm, I'm going to value that. I'm going to value my body and my mind and my heart and really do what I can to try to take care of myself, you know, when I can, it's, Obviously, it's not going to be perfect 100% of the time, but what are those efforts that I have control over and that I can try to make some changes? So it's, you're really getting my wheels turning quite a bit as, as you're sharing all this information. Great. <laughs> any overall messages of hope for anyone out there? What would you say if they feel like they've tried so many different things and they're still not sure what to do and they're just really struggling? What would you say to, to someone out there? I would say um, it's important to sometimes reach out uh, to somebody that is working only with sleep, right? So um, if we Google sleep hygiene, we're going to have a list of things that we should be doing. And if we Google insomnia, we're going to have a list of things that we need to be doing. But as I said, those are snapshots. Uh, it's important to understand the full context. So when we start working with somebody that is a sleep professional, they're gonna look into the big picture and they're gonna look at your history and your behavior. And then it's important to adjust things to what is best for you on that moment of your life. So um, let's say that the most Googled uh, sleep hygiene thing is to take a sip of water before you go to bed. I'm making this up, right? So but yeah. let's imagine that this, this is it. Like the, the, the secret to sleep better is take a sip of water before you go to bed. But if you have um, some health concerns that are gonna affect that, that are gonna make you wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, that's not the best for you, right? So sometimes we are um, beating ourselves up for looking everything that is out there and trying everything that is out there. But the best thing is to go talk to somebody that that's their life, right? And make sure that they are gonna understand what is going on with you and they are gonna find the best option for you. 
and there is no magical uh, change and the change don't happen overnight. So for example, for people that come work with me, I say, we need to look at at least six weeks for a real change, a change that is gonna stick and that you're gonna feel like, okay, this is good for me and I'm gonna keep doing it. And before you notice, it's gonna be part of your life and you don't feel like you're doing a job, right? So when um, they start, uh, we start changing the behavior, it's, it's uh, something like, okay, I, I need to go to bed at this time and I'm gonna wake up at that time. But over time, your body, your biological clock is gonna understand that that's bedtime. And before you notice, you're gonna feel, oh, I'm sleepy. Oh, yeah, that's my bedtime. And you're gonna go to sleep and your body's gonna wake up sometimes before the alarm clock. Like you're gonna open your eyes, stretch and the alarm clock goes off. I'm like, okay, my body knows when it's time to wake up too. So, but those changes, um, happen with uh, as a process is not going to be overnight and i don't recommend taking medication for that either um, change the behavior is the best option is the long term long-term benefit and it's not going to have side effects right so that's the message of hope that i want to say to you and also i'm catholic and i also love to share um uh, with my patients that um that the one that look for us, never rest or never sleep, but we can rest and sleep because he is looking for us, right? Mm. So if you feel that you have so much going on and uh, you have to take care for your family or for a relative that is sick or just concerned about everything that is going on, you can rest. You know, God made you for rest too. Uh, he made us, he built us with this seven hours of sleep that we need or seven to nine hours of sleep that we need. And it is for a reason. He knows that we need that recovery. So he's going to watch you once you sleep. And also he made our brains um, so powerful that sometimes um, the memory consolidation that we're going to have from that sleep and the physical recovery that we're going to have from that sleep, it's going to help you work better the next day and provide better for your family the next day and be a better caregiver or just be overall feeling uh, healthier and refreshed. So make sure that you prioritize sleep is not selfish, um, is a vital um, function that your body needs to keep going. Thank you so much. So do you have any new projects coming up? Anything that you wanna let us know that we should be aware of? Yeah, so we're just saying so much about menstrual cycle, right? So uh, I have a new series of uh, workshops coming up, especially for women, tying um, insomnia and sleep quality with the menstrual cycle. Um, I'm going to be posting that soon, and it's for young women, uh, for um, middle-aged women, and for those that want to age better and want to see how their menstrual cycle can be affected by sleep and how they can be proactive in understanding that and improving their quality of life and the sleep quality throughout the entire month and make sure that they um, have all those questions um, uh, clear and they can um, sleep better regardless of the menstrual phase. 
That sounds really interesting. Where is it going to be posted at? So I'm going to post that on my uh, Instagram. My, my Instagram is um, daughter is daughter wise sleep education. And my personal Instagram is just my first name is Carliara. Uh, but I'll be posting that and it's going to be available in the website by the end of the month of April. And what's your website? It's uh, carliarawise.com. Okay, great. And is that where, where should people go if they want to get in touch with you or find you? Yes, they can uh, reach out through the Instagram or for the website. And I'll be glad glad to share, uh, to answer any questions and look forward to see everybody there for the workshops. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carliato Weiss. It's been wonderful having you on. Thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. Thank you. That's great. Thanks so much, Regina. I really appreciate the invitation and I love our conversation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud. Thank you.